All right, welcome to Unpacking Ideas, the podcast where each episode I invite on a new guest to help me unpack the ideas in an influential piece of writing. Today we're looking at the Book of Job from the Old Testament of the Bible. The author is unknown, and historians estimate it was written anytime between the 2nd and 10th centuries BCE, with most of them thinking it was written sometime around the 6th century BCE. Today, helping me unpack this book was Lee Posna. Together, we explored some of the book's core ideas around loyalty, submission, surrender, acceptance, the illusion of control, victim blaming, looking at our lives from a broader perspective, and of course, the problem of evil. This was a really illuminating conversation. It really helped shed some light on these themes for me, and I hope it does the same for you. So get comfortable and enjoy my conversation with Lee on the Book of Job. I don't know, deep breath. <laughs> we were both kind of talking about uh, having a little bit of imposter syndrome talking about this piece just because it's such a... I, I know for me, it's just, I think part of it is it's it's so old and it's been written about so much that like you could spend a lifetime just just reading commentary, just reading other people's analysis of it that like even after like all the prep that we did, it's just like, you know, we could have prepped for another couple of years yeah, before yeah. having this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, such a cornerstone of Western culture and literature and psychoanalysis and uh, just, I mean, it really, you know, it gets to the core of the human problem uh yeah the, the problem of um you know uh in unjust suffering um yeah problem of evil or evil. the odyssey yeah yep. and i was also one of the things i was thinking about when i was reading it because it's it's kind of like it's pretty an unsatisfying piece in terms of it doesn't doesn't leave you this like tidy re- resolution um there's a lot of kind of ambiguity a lot of you know people that interpret it completely different mm. um and i'm wondering if that's one of the things that has made it such a classic in that like you know the same way that hamlet is a classic right. because oh, it's ambiguous and kind of uh like inherently unsatisfying or even like the mona lisa with like that smile that just kind of leaves you coming back to kind of like like it's almost like there's a loop that has remained open yeah yeah hyper complex uh mm. and um you know insoluble difficulties i mean right both in form and content if the content is like the problem of suffering the problem of evil yeah uh then then the f- which which has no solution to date <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um then then yeah then the form echoes that in in its you know e- extraordinary complexity and yeah and the the um you know the it's there's like nothing else like it in the Bible. It's just kind mm. of the insuperable poetry and complexity of Job is kind of yeah singular in in the canon. Um, yeah, I, I even was listening to some stuff by um, like theologians or like even like a Baptist minister, minister, and he was saying the same thing. Like it's kind of the outlier in the Bible yeah, um, for sure. For probably reasons we'll get to, um, but maybe up front we can talk about like just some like logistic stuff uh so we don't know the author um so the author is unknown 
Yeah, yeah. more you want to say about that? Yeah. Sure, right, right. That's yeah. right, the, the, the Job poet. Um, mm-hmm. whom, so there's a scholar I, I definitely rely on pretty heavily in mm. the limited research I've done. Uh, really great scholar. I highly recommend. Really accessible, um, but, you know, perfectly rigorous. There's, there's nothing, you know, there's no great popularization here. Yeah. He's, he's a great scholar of Hebrew poetry uh and biblical literature and robert alter a-l-t-e-r okay um yeah and he he discusses a little bit when he's talking about the language in in regards to the poetry of 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 the book of job of the hebrew that uh about the aramaic um elements though the the aramaic vocabulary the poet draws on and yeah, kind of pinpoints a specific moment based on on these ling- linguistic uh, mm. clues at, to to speculate on when it was written. I mean, which I guess there's a lot of consensus. But yeah, what was his? What, what's kind of his guesstimate? He's, he's thinking like sixth century BC at the yeah. earliest, probably fifth century. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I a lot of the stuff I I had read. Um, again, it was, you know, there's no definitive date that this was written, but I had read a- anywhere between like the second century BCE all the way to like the 10th century BCE. Right, like it's a pretty right. wide span. So it sounds like he's saying maybe sometime in the sixth. Um, I, I was also reading that, uh, it's very possible that like a lot of other myths, this was passed down orally for quite some time before it was ever written. So that's another thing to kind of keep in mind that it might actually, it's probably actually is a lot older than, uh, than we think based on when it was actually written. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, right, and, and oh, again, Alter talks, or somebody talks about um, yeah. that, uh, when, when we'll get into this shortly, the kind of, um, Job is not an, a document, a, whatever, a text that was written once and for all in one particular period, but there yeah. are like interpolations and... Uh, you know, redactions and that the original frame was just the beginning and the end, basically. Oh, really? Um, okay. And which, the dialogues were kind of inserted. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that the, um, yeah, that the, that the original framework, the folk tally kind of framework mm. very much adheres to right a much earlier, like oral tradition. You can kind of hear, yeah, that's right. hear that as well. You can too, you can too. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that because as we'll probably get into later, there's some at least seemingly inconsistencies in the story and you kind of wonder how much of that is just because they're maybe like multiple stories smushed together or, you know, mm-hmm. certain things were inserted later that um, maybe don't fit with the like original narrative. Uh, so it's interesting to kind of speculate about that kind of stuff. Yeah. and. We should also talk about, we're doing, um, we read the King James version, yep. which is kind of like the, uh, the industry standard in terms of, <laughs> in terms of Bibles, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and I, I use some other sources, uh, just to kind of, um, you know, like cross-reference. And I, I was reading this guy, his name's Randy White. He's like a Baptist minister. Mm. This is kind of getting his more like fundamentalist perspective. Right. And then I also just found something online called the uh, easy English Bible, which yeah, is yeah. kind of exactly what it says. So sure. that was the very like, just anytime I was just bewildered, I would kind of check that to get a ballpark of what was going on. Yeah, no, no, that's sensible. Um, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, 
to bring to bring up right like more fundamentalist or like um to my mind hopefully not terribly unfairly like reductive versions of job Mm. you generally get the idea that here's job he's he's done something wrong or he hasn't but that's kind of beside the point because god is wiser and is punishing him or inflicting him for whatever reasons and in the end job like repents and the translation here is interesting because um apparently according to ralph williams i haven't heard it elsewhere Mm. but this ralph williams guy taught at michigan for a lot of years um a biblical scholar uh yeah that that word was as much better rendered in english to his Mm. life as as gave way ah okay but yeah you, you could easily imagine the reductive like fundamentalist position being like of course he repented and then everything mm-hmm. came right it's it's all good because job realized you know his position in the universe and god's you know all you know yeah omnipotence and all the rest yeah well and that's kind of also i think why you need to like read a few different sources with mm-hmm. an old text like the this because um there were a lot of words that uh either are just out of use now that are in the king right. james or that have different uses so like job is described as being perfect and like this minister says like perfect actually in hebrew the translation is more like uh has like a lot of integrity right so which is different than like flawless (laughs) totally um totally but i'm just kind of thinking maybe before we uh get too deep into it maybe we can just do like a quick job summary of the story uh just to get all on the same page so we can kind of i'll breeze through kind of the cliff notes version just so we get a sense of what happens in the story and then we can kind of dig into it Mm. um all right so job is this guy he lives in the land of ooze uh he has a wife seven sons three daughters uh he's very wealthy he's seven thousand sheep three thousand camels 500 donkeys uh he's doing well for himself he's got servants the whole nine um and it's also noteworthy that he is a uh, God-fearing man, extremely uh, virtuous. He's kind of like the the model Christian. He's uh, perfect, or you know, has high integrity. Maybe the model Jew in this case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the model Jew exactly. The model yeah, there was <laughs> there was no uh, model Christian to be. Um, so then we cut to this scene, uh, this first heavenly council. So we don't know exactly where this is. We we kind of get the sense it's in like a, it's in heaven or some other dimension. So God is holding this heavenly council. I kind of thought of like almost like a PTA meeting, you know, not to, not to trivialize it, but it's, it's kind of, he's holding this council and all the sons of gods are there, meaning all the angels and Satan is also present. Again, uh, the Hebrew for Satan is just adversary. So we don't know if this is actually the Satan that we typically think of, or if this is just an adversary. Uh, nonetheless, Satan says, or God says to Satan, hey, check out my servant Job. Uh, he's so upright and God-fearing. And Satan says, well, you know, God, he's only uh, loyal to you and he only loves you because of all this great stuff you gave him. But uh, if you took it all away, he would turn his back on you. He would curse you. So God says, all right, you know, deal on. I'll do what you want with him. Just don't kill him. But, you know, so have your way with him, Satan. So Satan does. He, uh, you know, makes this gust of wind knock over Job's children's house and kills all of Job's children. And uh, Job loses all of his, um, his servants and his ox and all of his land. 
And so basically he's left with nothing. And we get this kind of famous, uh, which we'll, we'll dive into in more depth later. Um, this is where the, the famous uh, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, so up till now, Job is still loyal. So we cut to now like the second council meeting. All right. So at the second meeting, again, all the angels are present and Satan is present. And God kind of says, well, look, you took everything away and he remained loyal. And Satan says, well, like, I'll bet uh, that's just because we haven't affected his health. Like, let me, yeah, let me affect his health and then he'll turn his back and curse you. So God says, okay, do your dirtiest, just don't kill him. And then uh, Satan casts down, um, you know, some curse onto Job and Job is covered in these painful, itchy boils. And now things are starting to, Job is starting to uh, really feel the effects. And we kind of get this series where Job is feeling very, um, just lost and depressed and is just kind of cursing his existence, wishing he was never born, wishing he would just die. And then we enter this series uh, known as the Dialogues, where Job's three quote-unquote friends, which, you know, we'll debate whether or not they're actual actual friends, um, come in and there's a back and forth. And the, the quick version of it is these friends are convinced that God is just and Job is suffering, therefore Job must have sinned. And Job is uh, Job is holding to his original story. He's saying, "Look, guys, I didn't do anything. I didn't like." And they're just not buying it. They're saying, "You must have done something. Uh, fess up." Like, and so it kind of creates this tension between them. There's a back and forth. Job gets more and more irritated as the story goes on, and eventually is kind of becoming a little angry with God. He isn't he isn't cursing God, but he's he is saying like, "I." I want an explanation for this. I didn't do anything. I, I don't deserve this. I want to speak to God. Finally, God comes in. And um, again, we'll go into a lot more depth what God says, but in a nutshell, it's, you know, uh, where were you when I was creating the the earth? Uh, who are you to question my authority? Um, again, I'm oversimplifying this. Uh, Job then submits to God and then we have kind of the ending. God um, kind of chastises the friends and says, uh, you guys were wrong in what you were saying, and Job was right. And then the very last chapter, Job, or excuse me, God restores all of Job's um, possessions. He gives Job uh, twice as many. Is it twice as many children? I know it's twice as many cattle. Maybe the same number of children. I'll have to look. Um, and twice as many years. So Job lives until he's like 130. So that's the very like, you know, nuts and bolts of the Job story. Is there anything I left out that you'd like to add before we move on? Uh, no, you did a great. That was a great okay. job. Um, there's one well, one moment after yeah. the three friends, right before God appears. Mm. Uh, there's the fourth person interlocutor. Oh yeah, Elihu. Young, yeah, the young guy Elihu, who's like pretty bombastic, and he's like, 
oh well, just because I'm 20 or whatever, it doesn't oh, yeah. mean that I can't. Yeah, I can't hang with you guys. And then <laughs> gives his own like you, you know, even more conventional kind of platitudinous mm. wisdom about good and evil and justice. Um, right. Which, yeah, again, like it. It's kind of a more extreme version of the same thing yeah, the other yeah. friends are saying too. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yep. But but yeah, there's old Elihu, which as as we talked about earlier, that's actually one section that was almost certainly added in later. Right. Yes, that's um, right. Um, along with one of my favorite pieces, um, just chapter twenty eight. Mm. I guess there's what forty two, forty three thing chapters total, but twenty eight is this, you know, cool little poem. That, yeah, also a later interpolation, but um, something maybe we can glance at later, just because yeah. it's charming, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I was thinking it'd be good to have just the outline in the back of our heads, just because mm. as we go through it, we'll probably be like referencing the end, so yeah, no, that's great. anybody who's not familiar with the whole story can kind of be um, all up to date. So one of the ideas that kind of struck me in this this first chapter um it comes down to like this idea of like um like conditional or unconditional love and that like it isn't enough for like our love for god to be this conditional thing where it's like you only um you know love god or obey his rules when uh you're getting all of these rewards mm-hmm. and that satan is almost like aware of the fact that we are that that we can have this like conditional relationship with God or, or I guess any relationship. So this is like really like, it's really a test. And, and it kind of reminded me of the other, um, what's the other, like the one they read at weddings all the time for the passage in the Bible, like in sickness and in health for better or for sure. worse. Right. On the unconditional. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of getting into this. Um, Okay, well, why should you? Con- why should I continue to worship you, um, mm. even though my external surroundings aren't uh, showing me that worshiping worshiping you is worth it? Right, right. Which is, uh, I think, also part of what this whole story gets into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, that's a great that's a great uh, first theme to think about. But yeah, it, it, you make a great point, and then like. What's so interesting is that it, on the surface of things or something, it seems through Job's like increasingly like charged and like, and you know, I don't know if hysterical is a word, but like his increasingly like intense defense of himself, one might say, well, like, oh, Job held up for a little while in his unconditional love of God. Yeah. But eventually he's like, no, God, actually, you're wrong, I'm right, blah, blah, blah. And yet, at the end, I mean, again, the, the sense of, inscrut- of the inscrutability of God mm. is like, oh no, Job was right, actually. He actually did remain faithful and in a sense, unconditional according to a certain logic or a certain justice. Yeah. This inscrutable justice. And the um his his friends his quote unquote friends were were actually unfaithful in their like trotting out the conventional like cliched wisdom of uh what ultimately amounts to um you know the inference of guilt uh by misfortune uh, through misfortune you know uh yeah well in in 
I think what's also interesting is after these this first two chapters, uh, Satan never comes back. Right. Like we don't have like a third council yeah, meeting yeah, yeah. at the end. Um, so that whole we we never really know who, and it's not like an actual bet, but we never really know who who wins this kind of wager or argument that they're kind of um, arguing about at the beginning, okay. and it's kind of ambiguous because I think you could argue that Satan was kind of right. I mean, Job, at least not in this first chapter, this first chapter, he's remaining loyal, but we'll get into later. He does kind of break down and I don't think he ever uh, disrespects God or turns his back on God, but he's definitely like questions his faith. He definitely is want demanding some kind of explanation. So I think you could, I think you could make an argument that like Satan was kind of right that some of his uh, loyalty to God was dependent on him having nice things. Yeah, yes, certainly. And yeah, that's like the wonderful, um, you know, insolubility or whatever the word is, mm. y- you know, inscrutability of, because we're, we're left always to wonder what the measure of like that fidelity is. Yeah. And although to our human sensibility, we're like, oh, well, here's Job, you know, say satan was right he's clearly like one you know once he got all sick and full of boils he said no fuck it this is this sucks i can't do it (laughs) um and yet and and yet he was one might say like to you know for a cliche he was true to himself or something Mm. and like we tend you know uh, the biblical world or like religious world aside we tend to say like Oh, this guy has integrity because he's stuck with his guns, blah, blah, blah. Although that's usually like outcome dependent or whatever. Sure. Maybe. But like, yeah, it's so interesting that we, it's kind of undecidable in the end, at least in, in this, in the, within the bounds of this, uh, religious framework and this, uh, this biblical framework. Sure. If it really was, you know, faithful well, or not, you know. Yeah. But, and I mean, for me, it even just brought up the question of like, why should your uh, belief in a God be unconditional? Like, right, I mean, sure. and, you know, I mean, I think that's a big question this is trying to look at as well is like, hey, like, all right, if if I believe in this God and I do everything this God says and this and I still get uh, a bad outcome, like, why should I remain faithful throughout that? Right. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, and then. I guess the other big passage, I mean, this is probably the biggest, the most famous uh, passage in the whole book, is this, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. Uh, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, I had some thoughts about that, but do you want to, any, anything you want to say first? Uh, well, yeah. just to... Again, this is shooting from the hip with yeah, and like we're all imposters compared to compared yeah. to everyone who's really studied this properly. Um, but it ju- it just makes me think of my other favorite thing from King James's Ecclesiastes, and mm. both of them seem. I mean, Ecclesiastes maybe much more so, but like both of them seem profoundly uh, agnostic or, or something. Like in Ecclesiastes, there's definitely things like whatever we all go to the same place as animals like and the same thing happens to everybody we're all going to dust and yeah this is to like emphasize the point that this is 
well and truly before that, uh, the infusion of like a, a, a Christian, certainly a Christian understanding of heaven and hell and like good and evil and that again, Manichaean kind of, um, you know, polarity that, that comes, that's infused into the Judeo Christian religion and, mm the 6th century BC, I think, during the Babylonian captivity. Um, and so I think there's much more room for a kind of ultimate ambivalence and ambiguity and like, uh, why was I saying that? Because, yeah. Me, and, yeah. Oh, well, I, well the naked came I right, exactly. Like, we're born from clay and we're going back. This, mm. You know, noticeably absent is any kind of eschatological kind of moment there it's like right well so yeah so that interpretation would be like um i don't want to say nihilist nihilistic but but kind of like we we, i'm gonna die anyways right um the interpret how i kind of read it was i came into this world with nothing i'm gonna leave with nothing so all of this all of this, these things that I've acquired in the meantime, like my, you know, 5,000 she asses or whatever, um, was just kind of icing on the cake. So now that it's taken away, it's no big deal. I guess that's kind of how I read it, but it's yeah, not necessarily, yeah, yeah. um, that's not necessarily right. No, but I think that is the point. That's mm. absolutely the point, um, he's making, right? Yeah. Um, which is an amazing thing to say. <sighs> <laughs> think think about where you've been at your lowest point in life, and if you've had the fortitude to say something like that, you'd have to have a serious thing to believe mm. in, like a god, right? Sure. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, so at this point, yeah, Job is still kind of maintaining his. Uh, he's kind of like the the golden child, the golden the golden Jew, and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in, term, in terms of uh, God's straight A student. Um, so then we get into, and we're not going to obviously read the whole thing, but then we kind of get into this, this next series where then Job is then, uh, like cursed with these boils all over his body and Job's wife, uh, is kind of the first one to have some skepticism about this. And, uh, I think she says something like curse God and die. Right. She's just like, Job, like, why are you still maintaining all upright? Like, God has obviously, uh, you know, cursed you. Like, just curse him. And so, I, yeah. And at this point, he's still saying, like, he says something like the equivalent of, like, shut up, woman. Like, don't, or like, <laughs> don't, up. don't say some, some misogynistic uh, term yeah, he yeah, says there. Yeah. <laughs> I forget the exact thing. Um, oh, yeah, there we go. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Yeah. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Mm. Which, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound too foolish. No, I mean, I no. think a lot of people would, at least at this time, would say, uh, well, yeah, you should only, I mean, if you're, if, if you truly, and in God's analysis, Job is, hasn't sinned. So a lot of people would say, she's not foolish to be like, Hey man, you you did everything this guy told you to do, and he still screwed you over. Like, yeah, you look like a chump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. I'm married to a chump. Setteth <laughs> 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 Job's wife. <laughs> um, oh, I, what, what? Oh, something else I thought of yeah. before when you were when you were um, going through the the arc of the story. Yeah, um, 
it it made me think like the ultimate wisdom and whatever timeless wisdom of comforting someone in their distress uh, mm. is just being with them and being silent is like it's certainly not what his friends end up doing is like challenging yeah. him and all that like they start by doing that though but yeah that's what i wanted to mention that they start just by doing mm. like the actual right thing they sit with him for a week nobody without says saying anything. anything yeah they're just like dude you're really suffering we're just gonna be we're here for you great like, and they probably should have just kept their because mouth shut. All they had to do was keep doing that. Right? Because the moment they enter their mouth or open their mouth, I actually found this really interesting psychologically. Mm. Why the friends just were like, just so gung ho about, hey man, you must have done something right. And almost yeah. blaming him for his circumstance. Right. And this is, this is kind of my own kind of theory about this but like i think when we see somebody suffering or somebody who has like where somebody who has uh just undertaken like a tragedy it kind of opens up the that very uncomfortable thought in our head that hey this could have happened to yeah. me or this could have happened to anybody especially yeah. if it is some like you know quote unquote act of god or something that was truly not the person's fault and that it's very uncomfortable because that means that we're ultimately not in control of a lot of our fate. Yeah, that's good. So I think when the friends see that Job, it's like if you see that your best friend who is like, you know, the model Jew and just awesome and doesn't sin and all this is ter terrible things happening to him, it kind of means like, oh man, if that's happening to Job, like that could happen to me. I need to figure out a way to figure out how to keep my worldview that I'm in control and kind of blame him and say, oh, well, no, 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 you must have done something. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I found that really interesting. And I've also talked to some people who have gone through some really hard times um, and experienced some, some like health issues that were not at all their fault. And their surroundings, um, they actually were telling me about that, like they had a very similar experience to what Job was feeling. Like a, a friend of mine, I'm not going to obviously say who, but like he was saying like everybody, he undertook this sports injury and you know, it wasn't like anything he did. It was just kind of like a freak accident, mm -hmm. but everybody kind of around him was just like, Oh, you should have warmed up more or you should have, uh, you know, practice, you know, you overdid it or whatever they kind of like found a way to kind of blame him so yeah, that they wouldn't yeah. have to sit with that uncomfortable feeling of like sometimes just bad shit happens yeah. for no reason or for a reason that's outside of your control. Dude, that's great. That's the crux. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. When we become increasingly urgently defensive of, of some kind of order mm. and you know, in, in when we witness like, yeah, this stuff, and, and yeah, dri driven to, like, persecution and injustice, and the worst thing of all, like, victim-blaming um, Yeah, to uphold our sense of control and, and, and world order, and, like, yeah, yeah, it's it's the timeless, and I guess that's, that's the power of Job, is confronting that, you know, most extreme and most brutal of, of you know, human uh, behavior is... Mm 
you know, rabidly turning against somebody who's suffering, you know, just to protect ourselves or uh, or protect protect our sense of order and stability in a very chaotic and you know, in unjust world. Well, yeah, and it's it. So, and we hear from these four friends who are all kind of, um, you know, doing the opposite of comforting him. They're all just like victim blaming, essentially. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, there were also some passages saying that other people in his life just abandoned him during mm -hmm. this low part. Right. Yeah, um, indeed. The whole, like it, all of society was started like. Yep. Right. There's a there's a, a quote here that says, And now am I their song, yea, I am their byword. They abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Um so again, this is just I don't know, just kind of interesting psychologically that this happens yeah. where we do see somebody who uh is really like suffering or has you know, tragedy has befallen them. And either it's that person is now a reminder of, hey, this could happen to you, and there's a lot that's not in your control, so we start to, like, avoid that person. Or it could even be, like, anytime I see that person, I'm just panged with, like, pity and guilt. Right. And that doesn't feel good either, so oh, I just oh. stop calling Job to hang out. Absolutely. Um, that's another thing that I've, I've noticed, both with myself when I've gone through some hard times, mm -hmm. it, and it's not even necessarily malicious it's not even necessarily the friends are like you know consciously trying to rule that person out it's just mm -hmm. that that person then gets associated with all of these negative feelings yeah, yeah whether yeah. it's pity or whether it's like the uncertainty of um you know potential tragedy befalling them and mm -hmm. then it's just like they're just get abandoned yeah that's it's that's, almost like don't let's just like out of sight, out of mind with Job while he's suffering over there. Totally. That, that, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the irony or whatever it is, is the extraordinary hypocrisy because these guys are, are all trotting out like, you know, and, 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 and the wise man and good man looks after the widows and the homeless <laughs> and, and, and the afflicted. And yeah. But they, yeah, then absolutely the opposite of, of what they do. Um, and yeah. at the end, there's a passage where like everybody comes back after Job is then mm. restored all of his things, <laughs> there's a passage in there where it's just like, and then all of his friends and family came came back and it's just like... It's almost like a Disney movie. <laughs> it is. It's I almost... Mean, like, and that's that kind of loyalty thing too. It's fair, just like, fair, oh man, Fairweather fair friends and, and and whatnot. But I was going to mention also on that point of, um, you know, there's kind of an arrogance in their friends, in the friends as well, mm. because the friends are not suffering. So they're kind of sitting in their uh, armchairs and saying, "Like, well, look, Joe, this is um, this is how you screwed up." And there's a, a passage. This is, and maybe I should I should be quoting the um, like the verse since the Bible is all laid out for us. So this is Job twelve five. Um, he that is ready to slip with his feet is at a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. So I took that to mean it's easy for people with no troubles to think that they are better than the people who are going through something awful. Mm, right, right. Like we kind of look through, we kind of look at somebody who is like really suffering and, you know, maybe at a time when we're not and we kind of say, oh, well, like that's because, you know, like I'm 
going about it the right way and they're going about the wrong way. Yeah, sure. So it's easy, I think, for the friends in this case to kind of say, well, Job, you had the wrong, um, like, you were living your life in the wrong way. And like, let me, let me tell you how you, you should have been living your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 It's hard. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, it's everywhere and it's never going to change that. I mean, you think of like libertarians who are like, oh, well, look at these lazy people who are not worried about this kind of mm. shit. Like, nope. You, you, yeah, yeah. Just totally abstracting all context and reality to sure. uphold a certain right worldview or whatever. For sure. For sure. Um, well, yeah. And I think. Well, maybe we, so maybe we can continue because we've at least at this far at this point we've stuck to um, at least kind of going through it in order. Mm. So we've got we're now kind of in the dialogues uh, between the friends and Job, and yeah, at this point Job is becoming more and more defensive and basically saying like because they're all telling him like fess up, you must have sinned, you must have sinned. I'm I'm convinced, and Job is like if 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 I had something to confess to, I would, but mm. I don't know what I did wrong. I feel like I'm innocent. Um, and ultimately God comes in and it kind of breaks everything up and says like, all right, look, <laughs> let me uh, come in in a whirlwind and maybe we can talk a little bit about yeah. it. So in the end, just to, just to rehash mm. your, your, your um, telling of that story, God comes in and, and in like superlative verse, just, just like unfurls this like, you know, big dick kind of like yeah. I'm I'm the man I created all this stuff in like really super, really wonderful verse like lots of metaphors like lots of cosmic imagery and mm. like the panoply of creation and and animals doing this and that and. And like sealing up the, something like sealing up the doors of the sea so that they don't. And know, also sarcasm. And, right, sarcasm. Like, oh yeah, yeah. He's such there's a dick so too. much. There's so much kind of uh, condescension, which I, I don't think there's a way to read it any other way. Because right. he's he's not saying the way it's phrased is not like I am mighty and you are nothing. He's saying it like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, were you there when I created the world? <laughs> yeah. And. Um, to read a tiny bit of this, this yeah, is, um, this is 38, four. Um, so this is God. Where were thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened or who laid the cornerstone thereof? So, he's kind of uh, this is the the what it made me think of is like oh you're gonna tell me how to do my job mm-hmm. really you're gonna <laughs> tell right. me how to yeah. do my job it kind of it reminded me of like i remember as, as a kid sometimes if i was really getting under my parents skin they would kind of do a little bit of this they'd be like oh i'm sorry were you the one that worked 50 <laughs> hours this week and made dinner like no shut up yeah like it's <laughs> That's I think great. that's, that's definitely great. one way to to read this. There is that yeah. kind of sarcasm, and he's at another point. I don't think I have it in front of me, but he even says something like, "Oh, why don't you? Since you're so old and wise, you've been around forever. Right. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you tell me how it is?" Yeah. And this is after he's just put everything into context of like 
you know, I like I've created the cosmos, I've cre- created all of these things, and like your life is this tiny speck in all of that. Kind of like, who are you to question me? Right, right. I guess, yeah, we should yeah. really emphasize and drive home the point that, like, so for the better part, for like quite the majority of this book, basically after chapter three, from chapter four, I think, through 39 or something, mm. the great majority of this book was sitting here listening to Joe being abused by his friends and defending himself right. and just demanding mm. a hearing. And so the force of like the ex the expectation on the reader's part of like some grand tribunal in this theodicy of God, God appears, okay, we're finally gonna get an answer for suffering. And the like <laughs> incongruity of God's absolutely irrelevant, like douchey answer, which is not an answer. It's just like it addresses exactly zero of anything of what Job has been asking for. He just wants an explanation mm. for this profound suffering. He just wants an understanding of the order of things. He wants, you know, like uh, vindication, none of which is addressed by God. God simply comes in and says, like, I made this and I made that. Who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, so, yes. Like a very, like, it's real politic kind of like non-answer like actually might is right so get fucked you know like right right so i will say that's definitely i that's definitely how i read it the first time right and it was kind of and then i guess we should also mention and then job right after that kind of bends the knee and it's just like sorry i opened my mouth uh i'll shut up now you know he submits and maybe i I can read that passage as well but um yeah, that's kind of how how I thought, and I I even remember being. It, it reminded me of like uh, fights or close fights that I've been in, where like I, and this actually happened recently. Like I was in a situation where I was outnumbered, and I you know I pissed this guy off, and I was outnumbered, and he was coming up to me, and he was he was actually saying something very similar. He's like. Mm say something, say something. I dare you to say something, you know, and his friends were surrounding me and it's like, I'm obviously not going to say anything. It's, um, so then when Job kind of bent the knee, I was, you know, I was a little bit let down of just like, Oh, Job, man, like you, you kind of coward. But I think a different way to interpret this is Job's kind of submission to God. Um, is in some ways in it's in some ways a surrender to what is out of your control. Mm-hmm. So, um, in kind of preparing for this, I watched the movie Tree of Life by mm-hmm. Terrence Malick, which is uh, based on the Book of Job. And in that movie, the um, in the the this little boy dies in this family, and it's devastating to the family, and ultimately the mother says um, the mother is grieving and grieving. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And ultimately she, she surrenders and says, I give my son to you in reference to God. And I think it's possible to interpret Job's response to God similarly, and that he is kind of submitting and saying like, look, all of this stuff is out of my control. And like at a certain point, surrender and acceptance is the only appropriate response 
and that it is the person who is, you know, if, if a person is like struck with cancer or some horrible malady and they're kind of cursing God and saying, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a certain point where it's like, there is a certain wisdom, it seems in this kind of surrender to God or fate, or I guess whatever we want to call it in this, like Job is kind of resignated and just like, look, this happened. There's nothing I can do about it. It's out of my hands. Um, so yeah. I guess that's, that's another way to kind of interpret this whole back and forth between Job and God. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although there is, if, unless mm. I'm abusing the term, which I surely yeah. don't understand well enough, certainly a kind of dialectic or something between God and Job in that case, insofar as God's res- or Job's resignation implies like a different conception of God, namely when you're like, whether, oh, God or fate or whatever. But in fact, here that's substantial. Job's vision of God and what God stands for and and how and what God represents and mm-hmm. suggests about the order of the world and reality has suddenly shifted. Um, and so his resignation is not a resignation on the terms that he was formerly like intimate with or expected mm. out of God. I say, okay, if he's resigning, he's resigning not because he suddenly understood that he is in some sense guilty or whatever, but now he understands a new world order that the world is either inscrutable or that his guilt is inaccessible to himself and that yeah. he can only bend to fate. It makes me think of like if if you were a Greek and you were under the, you know, like, you know, you were constantly thinking of Zeus, but then suddenly... You're thinking of the fates, and you're like, oh, even Zeus bows to the fates because the fates are, in some sense, mm. like this, you know, all-encompassing, like, ultimately exterior order that even the gods can't, like, contradict. Um, yeah, that there's some shift in Job. Uh, but this might be an interesting moment. We should yeah. we should circle back to Alter's interpretation of this. Yeah. But, but it's such a rich moment to think about Jung's answer to Job. Oh, yeah. um, Which to explain, right, so Carl Jung, uh, the ultimate Jungian psychologist, (laughs) (laughs) had this book that, yeah, his very, like, important late book, I think Susan Sontag, you know, really raved about it, um, among others, like, she said, oh, this is certainly his most important book. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting, and let me see if I can get this right, after some years of having read it and not had the moment to review it before we talked. But, um, yeah, I think it's a kind of like, uh, psychic history of like man through his biblical writings. Mm. Uh, and so through the drama that humanity records, between itself and its idea of God and the drama of right of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, mm. as the Christ, uh, Christians call it, and then the New Testament, whatever, all it all constitutes a kind of psychic drama for mankind in its 
progress um, mm. or what even it's advanced through history uh, and that so Jung describes that Hebrew God as what surely he is in some sense for those people you know the historical God of the Hebrews is 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 a war god is yeah. like a clannish war god amongst medieval tribes that are all constantly in like battle for territory right. and survival um and then that god is yahweh is um jung described like it's, it's so like capricious and inconsistent and jealous mm. and has all these like garbage attributes none of which we associate with the christian god that's all right. loving kindness and justice and forgiveness later right um and but yeah this god is omniscient and omnipotent and all that but in Jung's like wonderful phrase that Yahweh doesn't have access to his omniscience this is a, Yahweh is kind of like split off from himself kind of like the unconscious and like that Yahweh like right right represents this you know um that or contains that kind of um what is it? To, that topography or whatever of the psyche and um and job represents this like ultimate wise um human who in the end like when god presents himself in that theodicy and um job eventually backs down or repents as some might like to have it um mm-hmm. that he's actually recognizing and understanding that split in God's psyche or some something like that and mm. that um and ultimately gives way because yeah of his specially human insight which he has only gained I guess through this ordeal um of the nature of reality and in this in in this mythos the nature of God but that God in in that like episode uh kind of perceives that job has perceived something about him that he himself hasn't perceived Mm. that job has kind of has something over god and his special perception of like god's multiplicity or like non-self-identity or whatever and that that and then then thus the title of the book the answer to job god's answer answer to job is to gain that very capacity by becoming human, by incarnating himself in Christ. Yeah, um, right. And that in that moment of Christ's like, cry, uh, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, that this is the answer mm. to Job. This is a kind of like... Well, in my... Um, my, I mean, I, I had every good intention to read it <laughs> and didn't. Um, I felt like it'd be better to... Uh, to uh, read some cliff notes of it rather than to try to skim Carl Jung (laughs) because I've read Jung before and I know how dense he is. But my understanding is, you know, because God in his response to Job, he's saying a lot like, you have no idea what it's like to be me. I would created the heavens and the earth and he goes through his, you know, list of every, all the reasons why Job can't even begin to wrap his head around what it's like to be God. Mm. And I understood Carl Jung to be saying, uh, God also can't understand what it's like to be Job right, because right. God can't suffer 
and he can't feel what it feels like to be this speck of dust in this grand universe. So then that's what kind of lends itself to God coming down as Jesus Christ and, and suffering. Um, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, no, that seems to map on to my okay. understanding. Yeah, I'm okay. glad, you, yeah. glad you read those notes. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't yeah, no, no, no. Just... It's an interesting idea um, because it, yeah, there's they, they seem to have quite the uh, an empathy gap there. <laughs> right, right. Before, just like, hey, man, I'll bet it's hard to be you, but it's hard, but it's also hard to be me. Dude, like, yeah, they just totally. go for a beer and. <laughs> but I love God, that very yeah. specific moment in in like the like heyday of psychoanalysis, where like mm. suddenly there was this, you know, ex- extraordinary psychoanalysis of God. Like, yeah, right, it makes so much sense, but it's also like so, like. Would. contained in its moment in its historical moment like it's yeah right there, yeah there's something timeless about it i suppose but um but yeah totally. i mean yeah it's, it's interesting cause i think right at the end of that book there's like a little like bonus interview or something or mm. something like that and behind the scenes exclusive <laughs> with with young yeah. that's right and young for is subscribers like, only <laughs> young and subscribers only is, yeah exactly and he's like God, people always ask me, like, do I really believe in God or not? And I'm like, whatever, that's such the wrong question. Like, mm. that for Jung, it's like, it, God is an imaginal entity, not not imaginary, not like, whatever, but real in, like, right, in the collective unconscious, in, like, there's a psychic reality, um, which has, like, real-world effects, mm. and why why do we consider that any less real than... Yeah, other entities. Yeah, anyway, like the reductive question is, is this, you know, whatever. Totally. Yeah. I was thinking maybe since this is like, well, actually, before we get into like the problem of evil and stuff, was there anything else we wanted to talk about before? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to mention Alter's suggestion. um, Yeah. Because he's addressing, right, all the critics who rightfully say, he's, he's not saying like there's any answer to job he's mm. not saying like oh well no actually his answer is encoded in such and such like, yeah obscure speech he's saying okay no god is not addressing the problem of useless suffering or whatever but that there's like a very neat parallelism between the third chapter the third chapter uh job's like death wish kind of chapter um mm-hmm. you know would that i'd never seen the light of day and all this kind yeah. of stuff and god's uh like this you know his his poem at the end and that point for point god is like turning job's speech from verse from chapter three inside out like job's all about like darkness and let and let the stars go out and let like the womb like close up and like let let night fall upon my existence and all this stuff and god in the end has lots of light imagery and star imagery mm. and co- cosmic flourishing and stuff and then that is interesting yeah i, I d- totally didn't see that connection there oh i never yeah. i never would have myself yeah. absolutely not um but yeah there's a kind of very neat parallelism that totally i mean it's totally convincing even if it seems in some sense to like not re- i mean again like alter admits this is not addressing like mm. 
the ultimate conundrum, but in terms of like a structural and like thematic and like, I mean, I ultimately in some sense substantial answer, this substance of the answer is like, well, you're wrapped up in your personal suffering, whereas like here's like an outward looking gesture toward the glory of the universe and like yeah. the context of life and like one should transcend one you know the ultimate narcissism of like yeah. personal suffering and so that structurally and poetically this is contained in this parallel between right that third chapter of mm. uh, you know death death wish kind of poem and god's answer anyway it's, a, it's an interesting answer and if to read to, to find out more on that you know you can read uh this one uh, yeah some robert alter uh, the wisdom books on job and the art of biblical poetry but yeah there you go and what you were saying kind of reminded me of um, a kind of another scene in the Terrence Malick film, Tree of Life, that stood out was, so the movie is shot where we're seeing like the this kind of drama play out between this family. And about a quarter of the way into the movie, it just like pans way out and we go to like the Big Bang. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, we're yeah. seeing like, basically the evolution of the cosmos into its present day. So we're seeing like the planets being formed. We're seeing, um, you know, the first uh, single cell organisms. We're seeing the first life to evolve out of the water. Then we're seeing the dinosaurs and the effect it had on me. And I think the effect that he's going for is like, we're so caught up in this little, our little drama that is happening in this, you know, space and time. And we think that our problems are so, so significant. And just by zooming out and getting that like 30,000 foot view, Mm. it just helps put everything into perspective, which I think is what God is ultimately saying when he responds to Job is like, where were you when I created the world? Mm. I mean, that's another way to, to interpret his whole speech is he's kind of saying like, look, in terms of like, you know, on my to-do list, you're pretty far down, bud. Like you and your little problems, like mm-hmm. I'm, like I'm managing the the universe. Right. Um. So I think that's another way to interpret that that passage. The kind of where were you when I created the world? Um. Is to think about it in terms of perspective. Yeah. 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 That's great. And that's great. Great. Um. Great drawing on on the on the the Malik the Malik yeah. yeah absolutely well so maybe we can get into uh, the problem of evil because yeah. this is ultimately <laughs> I think one of the reasons that this has stood the test of time is it's trying to answer the problem of evil or the problem of theodicy which in other words is um if there is a God why does he allow bad things to happen to good people or why does he allow bad things to happen to innocent people Mm -hmm. and i thought it might be cool to kind of take some of the most popular answers to that question that humans have come up with over the millennia and then look at how the book of job might respond to them um so yeah so let's see so of course this question, this why does God allow good things to happen to, to, or excuse me, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? This assumes the 
premise that there's a God. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people who aren't, aren't going to take that first premise and they're just say, well, there is no God. The universe is random. That's why bad shit happens to good people. That's but, my take. <laughs> okay, sure. Fair, 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 fair enough. So, um, but this is assuming there is a God. And so we can assume, obviously, that the book of Job assumes that there's a God because he's, uh, he's the main character. He got the... You got the main character in the in the play, so now we can kind of look at a few different things. Uh, so why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Um, one interpretation is, or one one explanation is, he's indifferent to human affairs, human suffering. This is kind of like Epicurus's position: is that like Epicurus believed that there was a God, but God was like off dealing with things that were much more important than human affairs, Mm. Um, which is kind of, I I guess it could be one way to interpret what's happening in Job and that like when God speaks to Job and says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I created the universe? Um, He might be kind of hinting at like your small problems, your small life is insignificant in my grand plan. And maybe like, the bad shit that happened to you was some kind of collateral damage of like, you know, this master plan of life. Um, I think the only, <laughs> the only reason that maybe this is not what the book of Job is saying is because the whole first two chapters, God is specifically concerning himself with Job and taking his time out to, to, you know, kind of like, make a wager with Satan. Mm. So it's hard to argue that God is just too busy to concern himself with human affairs or that God is just too, um, you know, that, that what is happening to Job is some kind of collateral damage because it, it is very intentional in the book of Job. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, God, I think another point Alter makes about to, to, properly historicized this like folkloric framework is mm. is the is the willingness and ease with which god acquiesces to to satan's um challenge You're like oh yeah okay sure and the, i think the yeah. language in the king james is um to destroy him without cause or something like that that mm. is very much like zero you know considerations of like justice or like or or, you know right dessert you know just desserts or whatever here is this satan being like oh yeah well well, how about this yeah okay sure well so yeah and that actually brings up another possible like explanation to this uh this question of um, the problem of evil which is that either god is unjust or he just enjoys kind of playing with humans for fun or sadistic reasons in the way that we might enjoy, uh, you know, playing Sims and watching the drama play out that there's a kind of, I'm not trying to go into like the simulation argument. I love it. (laughs) But, but I guess, but the beginning of this does kind of mimic a kind of, um, somewhere I was reading, they're talking about how the beginning of this kind of mimics like a, kind of like 
the Greek gods and how they would kind of bet on like human affairs. And there's, there's, it's kind of like almost like a, there's a game being played. Um, which is, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, it's hard to talk about this without getting into like the kind of simulation arguments, but that's kind of the idea that like, okay, well, God is not just God is kind of this, um, creator who is just more or less just curiously watching this drama play out and that drama happens to involve suffering right 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 um yeah that would mean that god essentially has human qualities or whatever yeah um what was nietzsche had a good phrase for that in birth of tragedy um that the oh what the gods were like a you know something like a distorted mirror of humanity or whatever mm. um, no, there's a better and more useful phrase than yeah that, well, but, <laughs> but in any case for um, sure mm. well and i i think the book of job doesn't take that view i mean i, no, I think no, i no. think so i wanted to kind of get these these two out of the way because i think the the book of Job holds the premise that a, there is a God and God is just. So then we're left kind of explaining then why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And um, from there, I think the first one might be, well, kind of what the friend's argument is in that, like, uh, bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. And then you're kind of forced to make an explanation for whatever happens. Oh, that, you know, that guy lost his job. Oh, well, it's because he was looking at his neighbor's wife with lustful eyes. Or, right. You know, so, or, and it kind of can get very hairy, you know. And sure. I, you know, I find what's interesting is there's still not even just, um, religious people that maintain this kind of viewpoint. I, I've even noticed it in some kind of like new age spirituality. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, Oof, that's so um, ugly. <laughs> I was, I was reading this book. Um, I actually really liked the book for other reasons, but uh, this was the game of life and how to play it by Florence Shin. Huh. And it's one of these kind of like law of abundance type of books, but it, it kind of maintains that ultimately everything that happens to us, is because of some past action. Mm. And there's a passage that I just wanted to read. Uh, So, quote, people often say, why does a little child attract illness when it is too young to even know what it means? I answer that children are sensitive and receptive to the thoughts of others about them and and often outpicture the fears of their parents. So Mm. this to me, I mean, personally just, is ridiculous but but she's she's making the argument that like the reason that little innocent children get sick and die is because they're like um somehow absorbing their parents fears so it's it's not exactly you know a christian worldview by any means but Mm. it it does kind of maintain similar to what job's friends are arguing which is that like everything that happens to you is ultimately in your control and it's because of something that you've you've done sure right rather than you know a a different worldview that maybe uh adds something like chance or chaos 
Right. It makes me, I mean, that particular thing and, and what, you know, what you said makes me think of Sontag's book on um, illness and its metaphors. And in particular, when she's mm. talking about cancer and like the like readily taken position that basically people with cancer are responsible for their cancer for mm. whatever it is, rep- repression or whatever else, like, which of course ultimately is completely disproven um, yeah but yeah that that that's some like w- whether we can ascribe like culpability in any volitional sense or mm. not like that's some um, internally like manifested like s- chain of you know procedures or whatever like results mm. in the person's misfortune and it um, to yeah. me kind of goes back to what we were talking about like control like letting go right. of because i think somebody with this worldview probably also is somebody who has trouble like relinquishing control and because this is ultimately saying everything that happens to you is based on a past action right so that at least lets you maintain the illusion that well if you just do everything right then nothing bad will happen to you and yet again like all which didn't work out for job no it didn't but that that very ethos is like ostensibly denied by god and when he rejects the yeah. friends exactly like, exactly so which know, is why i think formula. we can reject this explanation right um but again i think a lot of the old testament maintains this argument um so the other uh argument that i think a lot of people have given to this problem of evil is uh, God punishes the people who deserve it, who deserve it, and rewards those who deserve it in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So now we can we kind of bring in the concept of an afterlife and say, you know, when you have when you see somebody who uh, suffered for no good reason, you can kind of say, well, okay, well, the, but they're going to be um, rewarded in the afterlife, and that's a yeah. way to kind of make sense of this problem of evil. Um, but I don't think this works for the book of Job because there's not really any mention of an afterlife. And I was also reading, I, I'm not 100% on this, but I was also reading something that suggested that the idea of punishment and reward in an afterlife hadn't really taken hold that early. Right. Like yeah, it, the, yeah. that idea wasn't even really around when this was written. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would second that. Um, so I think we don't really have to worry about that one too much. Um, I think this next one is probably the way that most uh, people of faith read Book of Job and probably the way that they answer this question to the problem of evil, which is there is a God, God is just, but humans or mere mortals can't even begin to wrap their head around God's workings or his divine plan. Um, which is not stated explicitly in the book of Job, but it's kind of implied by when God is kind of saying, you know, look at all of these things that I do. Like, who are you to question this? Like, you can't even begin to wrap your head around the intricate nature of the universe. Yeah. Uh, he's not explicitly saying, but I think he's kind of suggesting that there is some ultimate plan that is just 
beyond the realm of human understanding. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Right, right. Like his very answer, it's form and content. Like, mm. or like, yeah, saying like this is this is so far beyond you that whatever your like petty conception of justice and like you know whatever congruity and like right. structure like are they're like completely insufficient to my plan and i'm not even gonna deign to like answer that question because it's it's in, in my view in my from my position like totally nonsensical or whatever you want yeah which i think it it kind of reminds me of um like some scientists or like astrophysicists will say that there are certain questions or certain knowledge that humans will never be able to obtain or comprehend. Like basically we are limited, we are limited by our, you know, primate brains, which evolved to survive and reproduce. And there are certain questions that are not, uh, that we're not useful in our evolution. Right. You know, why should we be the measure of the universe? Like in theory, we'd have to say like, we need a hadron collider. That's like a million light years long to, to find X particle. Like actually we're just not going to be able to do any of that. Like, right. So I guess I'm, I'm somewhat partial. I'm somewhat uh, sympathetic to this argument because, uh, you know, it's, it's basically saying, okay, maybe there's some divine plan or at least some, order in the universe it's just so far out of the realm of uh or it's it's so far out of our ability to even begin to comprehend um and i don't know i guess the only reason that the book of job kind of like the, the only reason that kind of doesn't sit well with me with the book of job is because there is that bet at the beginning right um, i mean which which i i suppose i mean somewhere in the literature they're like mm. i think this is a problem of like the you know diachronic composition of that or whatever collection of that stuff i think maybe there who knows maybe there was once upon mm. a time a you know a, a closing closing council where the third and final time and Satan like bows down and, oh, okay fine whatever but like in some sense it's irrelevant but like what Satan's kind of well if he did come back what, what would he say like oh yeah you okay fine. told you so told or, you so yeah. <laughs> like whatever but like you owe me a coke you <laughs> you owe me a coke <laughs> let's let's smoke let's smoke a little bit of pot and like yeah. forget about all of this yeah um but yeah, also it might have just got lost in in the in the like you know mm. again like over the centuries of collecting that stuff. But be that as may, like, I mean that's a point though. Like, this is hard. This is not a divine, divinely inspired text. This is like mm. a cobbled together palimpsest of like you know competing and evolving like sensibilities mm. and 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 moral kind of worldviews or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, so I I just want to bring up one more part in this kind of the problem of evil, the problem of theodicy, which is that when people say, you know, why does good, why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? Um, 
it also meant, depends what timeline we're talking about. Because a lot of times, seemingly bad things will be good things on a longer time horizon sure. or vice versa. You know, it's like you get that job promotion that you <laughs> really wanted. And then like, I don't know, on your first day of work, some guy comes in and like shoots everybody with I, that's that's a horrible like really dark example i don't know why i went there it's just some like uh, it's a moment i were living yeah <laughs> i know that's tragic but but for example so you know in that that scenario you could say well was the job promotion a good thing or a bad thing sure. um i'm kind of reminded of the, the buddha the buddhist parable of like i think it's like a farmer and he has a son and the son uh you know, falls off or his son like falls off a horse and breaks his arm. And the neighbor says, Oh, it's so terrible. And the, the, the father's like, well, let's see the next day. The draft comes and like recruits all the boys to go to the away to the army. And since this kid has a broken arm, he doesn't, he's not recruited into the army. So, you know, I think what complicates the problem of evil or the problem of theodicy is, a lot of the stuff depends on what time horizon we're looking at. Cause we can say like, okay, maybe all this terrible stuff that happened to Job was horrible in the, that year or that month. But you know, we find out that Job lived till he was 133. Maybe the, the remaining hundred years of his life were, were great. And now that, terrible thing has become this thing that's given him like meaning and a cool story to tell at parties like <laughs> but i guess what i'm saying is like right. you know what I, you know right. the point there. that i'm kind of making is like it 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 does ultimately matter what time horizon you're looking at as yeah, well totally right in yeah. what we deem good or bad right and only thinking makes it so and all that right um yeah yeah no that that's good i mean but it's it's so hard to I mean, I feel like we're awkwardly straddling a line between the world of Job in which there's this, mm. I don't know about you, I don't believe in an omnipotent, you know, transcendent deity or principle. Um, you know, like, yeah, it's a weird kind of split screen where we're talking about the context of this world versus the context of the world we're actually living in and talking about right now, you know, um... So yeah, so we can. It I don't know. It feels like talking about a Faulkner story in the world of Faulkner, and you're like, oh well, these mm. characters are doing X because of their motivations X. But to generalize into human experience, for me, necessitates like historicizing this idea of God. Um, for sure. For so, sure. Yeah, it's a tricky. It's a tricky walk. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe add some nuance into the question. I mean, I think the other thing that's really tricky with the problem of evil, the problem of theodicy is uh, it's really hard to separate out each individual because we are all existing together and one person's misfortune is a lot of times another person's misfortune. So one thing I, I was thinking throughout this was like, what if Job's wife was just the sinner and a terrible person like the terrible things that happened to job um 
could also be explained as punishments for her. Like she also lost all of her land. She also lost all of her kids. Her husband got stricken with boils. Like one could make an argument that Job's misfortunes were just as much a punishment for Job's wife. So I think that's another reason that the problem of evil for me gets a little sticky is it's like, all right, if you're going to argue that, you know, good things happen to good people, it's like one event uh, is ultimately affecting everybody. And those people all have their own kind of like karma that they're coming into this thing with. So I couldn't help thinking about, yeah, I couldn't help but thinking about Job, Job's wife throughout this, as oh, funny yeah. as that sounds. No, no, um, that, that's great. Um, and maybe, right, like what did she do to be born a woman in 2,500 years ago? <laughs> Whatever. Oh, like the, the, the yeah. There's, there's another problem. Um, mm. I didn't, yeah, again, like it's a very tricky to think about this world and worldview um, without bringing our, our own, you know, uh, worldview into into it um mm. yeah as you, as you said like i i mean i don't know that like that kind of contextualizing relativistic framework was possible or or like useful or whatever for that for right. those people at that time um well i mean but even if you're going to say okay well this was ultimately you know, it, because I, I did see some analysis. I, I tried to be unbiased and get some different interpretations from both believers and non-believers. And I came across, it was like the most popular video on the explanation of Job on YouTube, which was, it was basically saying, you know, God is just, God had a reason to punish Job and he did it to teach Job a lesson. So it's like, okay, but if we're going to maintain this, then we have to have to maintain that like Job is perfectly willing or God is perfectly willing to kill all these people just to teach Job a lesson. Mm. And then it's just like, well, then what did all of these people do to deserve or like Job's children? Like what did Job's children do to deserve to die? Was it just like, well, hey, sorry, bud. Like I, I got to teach your dad a lesson. You're going to you need to take one for the team here. Right. Um. So that's where, to me, it gets a little complicated when you start realizing that everybody's fate is kind of mixed up. Well, that's right. Like a ver- another relic of a particular historical moment of where the patriarch is the only thing worth mm. considering and everything else, you know, all of his progeny and like, uh, you know, animals and whatever are the thing you know that, that that's expendable in the end right so would like uh, you know i think it's a very right there is a certain expendableness of the ox and all of the children who yeah, die all that. and <laughs> presumably like innumerable slaves if we want to get yeah like, contextual about it like presumably job had like fucking shit ton of slaves like yeah that doesn't get accounted for you know right 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 that doesn't uh mark him down any points in terms of no living. right right this is such an extraordinarily different like set of values and, and world things absolutely yeah um yeah the problem of evil yeah i feel like 
Some part of me is happy about that, or I don't know what, satisfied, rather, lick with God, like the like multiple turns and complications of the story um, mm. that Job in one sense is like unfaithful in a way, but then also like faithful to himself, which God ultimately honors and, and rejects like easy platitudes, uh, which ultimately like totally belie the nature of reality. But then God also like has a big like fuck you kind of answer to Job. Mm. Yeah, all that I find endlessly satisfying because it like to me yeah, just mirrors the like and en- endless involutions and complications and like of the problem which can never be solved, which is just the chance operation of the universe and mm. and how it strikes some people down for no fucking reason at all and and that's how it is and we can do a million backflips to try to like square our Mm. fates with reality and with some order. And in the end we like, you know, can do that with some principle if it's God or something else, but that principle will constantly give us variable answers that don't equal anything, but except the complexity of life. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think what's interesting is how, vast the interpretations are for this piece and it really tells you a lot about like that person's worldview yeah yeah, um, yeah. right a real like, litmus test or like yeah uh, yeah touchstone like, the, like yeah. right and it's like the the people who you, you can i think this is one of those pieces where you can kind of assert your beliefs into it yeah um that's good because it's ambiguous enough that you can kind of have very different interpretations of like the problem, the answer to the problem of evil. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Was, uh, was there anything else? We, we, we really got into the, the weeds here. This yeah, was a lot of great. fun. Great. Uh, totally. No, yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sweet, man. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to unpacking ideas. If you enjoyed the podcast, please write us a review or give us a rating. Uh, I know that takes a little bit of effort, but it really helps with the algorithm so that more people can discover the show. If you would like to get in touch with me or to hear about upcoming episodes, please visit unpackingideas.com, where I post links to the readings that we'll be discussing on future podcast episodes. And finally, if you would like to get in touch with my guest, Lee, send him an email at leeposna at gmail.com. That's L-E-E-P-O-S-N-A at gmail.com. Lee recently moved back to the New York City area, and he's looking for work as an editor, assistant researcher, writer, writing tutor, or a poet. Uh, he received his MFA from the prestigious University of Iowa's uh, Writer's Workshop, and he's an esteemed writer and poet and an all-around good guy. So if you or anyone you know is looking for somebody who fits that description, definitely shoot Lee an email. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. I will see you next episode.